This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show. This week's hour of radio drama begins with Rocky Jordan. We'll hear the Nile Runs High from September 18, 1949. After that, it's Nightbeat and the Devil's Bible from July 24, 1950. Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you today by Del Monte Tomato Products. Not far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, The Nile Runs High. Winter and summer come to Egypt like any other land, but there's only one other season of the year, and the most important of the three. It comes as the great river Nile rises to overflow its banks in late September, bringing new fertility and life to this strange land. The Nile season is a time for rejoicing and festivities. I was out in the morning to watch the myriad white sailboats sporting on the river. I wandered alone away from the holiday crowd south past the Ismail Bridge. Finally, just as I decided it was time to get back to the tambourine, a white-sailed scow caught my eye moving away from the other boats and seemingly out of hand. It heeled into the wind, then a breeze swung it directly toward shore, and it kept coming till it floundered aground. A voice moved me into action. Help me. In the name of Allah, help me. I splashed out into the shallow water, and in a few seconds climbed onto the listing deck. I ducked under the boom toward where a man lay helpless across the tiller. He wore the blue robes of the fellaheen. They were splotched with red. Oh, my offended. My good offended. Easy, fella. You're hurt bad. What's it all about? I did my best. Tell my master that Shufa did his best. Looks like a bullet wound. Who did it? I, I do not know. They were in another boat. All right, now we got to get help. No, no, there is no time. Take it back now. Quickly, offended. Take what back? What do you mean? They, they're below... Take it back. Shufa was pointing frantically to the open hatch, so I hurried over and down to the small cabin. It was loaded with miniature bales of cotton. I touched one and found that it was wet. But what interested me was the man on deck, so I got back to him. But too late. Shufa had rolled over on the deck, face up. Dead now from the bullet wound in his chest. Well, it wasn't a pleasant way to start the day. I threw a piece of sail over the pathetic figure and dropped an anchor to secure the boat where it was. I scratched around a little, but found no papers to identify the boat. All I could find was its name painted on the side, the Water Nymph. After that, I waded ashore, and about three blocks up the hill, I found a phone booth outside Little Market. Police headquarters, have I asked Hello, Sam. It's Rocky. Jordan, why are you not out celebrating with the rest? The Nile runs high. This is not Just listen, Sam. I got a report. I like the sound of your voice, Jordan. Neither do I. But here it is. There's a sail scow near the foot of Sharia Bandur, grounded a little offshore. Indeed. But how should that interest me? A couple of things, maybe. For one, a load of cotton. Most uninteresting. What else? You'll find a man lying on deck, shot to death. So that is it. Jordan, why is it that always you are the one? All the questions, Sam. Give you all I know when I show up. Very well, Jordan. You will wait for me there. I opened the door to leave, and I got a lot of help. A powerful brawny arm reached in and dragged me out where I got a real close-up of a black beard and red eyes. 
It was my move, but just then a very wiry little character closed in from behind. We will talk, Inglis. Still with somebody else, Buster. Shadrach is the man of danger. Jabba speaks wisely. To the alley now, swiftly. They had to work for it, but they each held an arm, and pretty soon they dragged me halfway down the hill, around a corner, and pinned me up against a trash barrel. Again, the one called Shadrach was blowing his breath in my face. We will talk here, Inglisi. All right, start saying something. You made the phone call. Who was it with? I got the wrong number. <laughs> Shadrach is a man of impatience. As Jabba says. You were seen to board the boat on the river. Tell us what you saw there. Little cotton. Dead man, maybe you killed him. Shadrach is a man of danger. Perhaps the knife will loosen your tongue. Uh, use it and see what you find out. Speak now. What the dead man told you, and what you have told others. If I don't... Then, Inglacy, you will quickly join the unfortunate boatman. Wait, Shadrach. Look who comes. Then we saw them, all five of them, as they swept into the alley, their dirty white robes flapping in the wind. In the lead came a wild-eyed tribesman waving a sword with a doubled blade. Shadrach and his buddy froze for a split second, and just before they ran, they slammed me headfirst at the feet of the onrushing pack. Joe knocked the wind out of me, and somebody's boot behind my left ear did the rest. And that was all. When I opened my eyes, I saw bare sandstone walls and light coming in a high window. The rest I saw made me sure I was dreaming. But the soft hand stroking my cheeks was still there, so I looked again. The face bending over me was beautiful, but expressionless. It was dark, not too slender. The only sign she was human was the throbbing at her temples. Until she spoke. You need not fear. We are both quite safe. Oh, are we, lady? What happened to all the little men? They do not matter now. They brought you here. Now we are alone. Yeah. Real cozy. Oh, lie quietly. The pain will soon be gone. Well, that's not what bothers me. <laughs> My name is Farada. You'd like to know mine. You are Rocky Jordan. You own a cafe called the Tambourine, and you are an American. There's a card in my billfold says that. When a woman meets a man, she wishes to know more of him, does she not? Yeah, she sure does. You do not look like one who brawls in the street. The two strong men were most violent with you. You do not like to tell me why. It makes you think I got anything to tell. I see to your rescue, and yet you question. Everybody's got an angle. I don't understand. Maybe yours is a boat down on the river. A load of wet cotton. And a dead man who might have said something that I told somebody else on the phone. Very well. You need only tell me. You've got quite an assignment. Getting information out of me in your own way. I think I like Shadrach's way better. Why? Is it that you could resist his way, but not mine? <laughs> Give it up, lady. It won't work. A man as wise as you should know that my way is best. Where's the threat from? El Cahira? Then you know of him. Yeah, one of your boys shouted his name. Who is he? El Cahira is a man of destiny. The true, the exalted leader. Well, I'm still asking who he is. Very soon you and all Egypt will know. Only those who bend to his will shall be spared. Yeah, maybe he'll spare me. He knows what I told other people. Perhaps. You leave me then? You had ways of stopping me? I would not use them. Mr. Jordan. Yeah? Go anywhere but to the police. My men can return most quickly. I went out and down some steps to what turned out to be one of Cairo's many old deserted towers. I knew I wouldn't find Ferrata there again. If any of my rescuers were around outside, they didn't show their faces. So I skipped Ferrata's advice and made it for pub police headquarters the quickest way. When I walked into Sabaya's office, he jumped up from behind his desk came striding toward me. Jordan, where have you been? Have you been worried about me, Sam? We will leave my personal feelings out of this, if that is possible. Suit yourself. I don't feel so good either. Listen to me, Jordan. Was it not you who phoned me two hours ago most urgently? In person. And did you not say that you would join me at the foot of the Sharia Bendor where it meets the river? Well, that was my plan. And did you not say that a boat was anchored there, loaded with cotton and with a dead man on its deck? That's all straight. Did you get there, Sam? I did. Now have a look inside those cotton bales. Got a hunch you'll find something there. Jordan. Huh? There is an old saying of my people. Perhaps you have heard it. 
Oh, I can take it again. It is said a man who is bitten by a serpent will be frightened by the sight of a rope. Where does that fit? You, an adventurer, have often seen violence and death. Is it not possible that in, in a moment of, shall we say, celebration, what you saw was not real? Take a look at these bruises, Sam. They're real. They prove nothing. What are you driving at? I will tell you. It so happened that when I got there, there was no cot. Also, there was no dead man. In fact, Jordan, there was not even a boat. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. There in just six words is the whole story of Del Monte tomato juice. Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. That's just what tomato juice should be. And that's just exactly what Del Monte tomato juice is. For the perfect appetizer at mealtimes, for a pick-me-up when you need it, just fill a glass with ice-cold Del Monte tomato juice, and with the first sip, you'll think, Say, this is good. Del Monte tomato juice is fresh-tasting. Then with the second sip, you'll add, Mmm, really quenches my thirst. Del Monte tomato juice is natural-tasting. And you'll drink it down, because... Del Monte tomato juice is so refreshing. Friends, next time you're shopping, buy Del Monte tomato juice. Look for it in the green can with the familiar red Del Monte shield. Keep several cans in the refrigerator. You'll find they come in mighty handy. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. The Nile runs high. Sam Sabias sat watching what he just told me sink in. The sailboat, its small cargo of cotton, and the lifeless man at the tiller were gone. All vanished. Or, as Sam put it, they were never there. I had to make them believe me. Sam, what I told you on the phone was all true. Please, Jordan, do not try my patience. Just get this, now all of it. Right after I hung up, a couple of bearded characters started working me over. They wanted to know what I might have found or heard on that boat. And what might that be? I don't know. Boatman tried to say something about the, the cotton. Continue, Jordan. Just as the two bearded men got rough, the gang of desert rats charged in. It was a free-for-all with me in the middle. I went out for the count and woke up in a deserted tower with a dame named Farada. She tried to dig some information, too. <laughs> you had quite a day. Oh, listen, will you, Sam? The desert gang and Farada were taking orders from somebody they call El Cahira. El Cahira. Is that quite everything, Jordan? Well, up to now it is. There'll be plenty more. Let me suggest that you go back to your cafe and have a good sleep. I trust that you will not need an escort. I wasn't sure how much of my story Sam believed. All I knew was he bit his tongue at the mention of El Cahira. There must have been a reason. Outside, I had gone ten steps when I spotted Ferrada in a doorway across the street. A couple more white-robed shadows planted a few doors down. I stepped it up, and when I saw they were following, I took cover in a bar half a block down. Hey, Rocky, come on over. It was an old friend seated alone near the door, Bill Harder, crack reporter of the Cairo Mail. I figured he could help me, so I joined him. He was a couple of drinks ahead of me. Man, what happened to your face, Rocky? Somebody step on it? Yeah, supposing I said somebody did. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. The scrapes you get into. Now, give me a scoop on the next one, will you? Sure. Next time I mix with El Cahira, I'll let you know. No, I wouldn't wish that on you. <laughs> hey, Gus, take care of my boy here. Uh, short beer's off. And by the way, okay, here means something, doesn't it? The, uh, the victorious? Yeah, that's right. The original name of Cairo, named after the planet Cahir. It's the Egyptian name for Mars. Mm, this El Cahira appropriated the name for himself. Yeah, talk about delusions of grandeur. He's got it. I... Hey, what brought him up? You did. I did? <laughs> Maybe so. You know, I need somebody like him around. I've met a decent story in weeks. Oh, here, I'm clean. Oh, thanks. What's this Elka here like, Bill? Oh, he's a screwball and a mall, Rocky. Pretender to the throne of Egypt. You got any reasons? Oh, sure, sure. Claims he's a direct descendant of the first king of Egypt. Way back, 6,000 years. 
I think he really believes it. Modern Pharaoh, huh? Oh, before even the Pharaohs. You know, Rocky, there's an old legend among the nomadic tribes that they were the original inhabitants of Egypt. They were dispossessed and forced to wander the desert. And El is going to lead them back, eh? Yeah. There are always a few tribes around willing to make trouble, and Kahira seems to know how to stir them up. You have any idea where he is now? Who knows? He's been in and out of trouble for years, but he always seems to come back. He could be a dangerous man. He and his queen. Barada, yeah. She's as screwy as he is. Are you going already, Rocky? Yeah. Come back to your desk, Bill. I may have a story for you. How's that, Rocky? Hey, that's not the way to the door. I want to speak to the cook. So long, Bill. I did say hello to the cook, but I had other reasons for going out the back way. Namely, Farada and her crew hanging around out front. I knew if I didn't want a lot of carriages on my trail, from now on I'd have to clear things up fast. So I quick went to the Nile Boat Registry Office for information. In a minute, gent. I'm very busy. We all are. Left alone to make all these reports. I suppose we speed it up. Uh, everybody likes to be in a hurry. There's a sales scout called the Water Nymph. Who's a blonder? Hold your horse, gent. I look it up. Everybody in the office goes to the Nile but me. Just because I'm a Greek does not mean I do not like celebration. What was that boat? What? The Water Nymph, under W. Water Nymph. Belongs to Malik Bay. Goodbye, gent. All right, hold it. Uh, Who's Malik Bay? Malik Cotton Grove, Heliopolis Road. Uh, one more thing. Has the boat been reported missing? Oh, no. Does that mean I have to make out another report? Oh, skip it. Happy holiday, gent. It was a little after four when I went out onto the street. The crowds were swarming up from the waterfront. It was festive Cairo at its best. Limousines and camels, pashas and beggars, women in slacks and women with veils. I was just about to move on when I saw the flash in the sunlight. A knife stuck quivering inches deep in the doorpost by my head. And two fleeing figures vanished quickly into the milling crowd. I'd seen both of them before that day. It was Shadrach and his pal Jabba. Trying to follow with a wasted time, so I got to my car and honked my way out the Avenue de la Reine and onto the Heliopolis Road. Just before sunset, I pulled in under a big sign on the outskirts of town. Malik Cotton Growers, and up a driveway to the spacious home. There, I was directed to a rambling warehouse behind. At the warehouse door, I was met by a man sporting a pencil mustache and a red fez. I'm looking for Malik Bay. I am Malik Bay. And you? The name is Jordan. Oh. What do you want? I'm wondering if you had a man named Shufa working for you. Oh, yes. What about him? He sent you a message. A message? He wants you to know he did his best. I do not understand. What uh, What are you talking about? Didn't you know? Your man's dead. I found him shot and dying on your boat. That's most regrettable. I did not know, Mr. Jordan. But maybe you know what it's about. Huh? No, no. These things happened. There has been discord among my workers. A personal matter, perhaps. Did... Shufa say anything else, Mr. Jordan? No, only he was concerned about the cargo. All I could see was some small bales of cotton in the cab. Ah, well, perhaps it explains part of it. Stealing cotton is nothing new, but a small loss. Oh, you have some left, then. Eh? <laughs> oh, excellent humor, Mr. Jordan. Come inside the warehouse. You shall see. Now, observe, Mr. Jordan. Premium Egyptian cotton ready for the world's market. Yeah. You, uh, you keep it here long? No, no, it is already being moved. You see, the August harvest was over only three weeks ago, just ahead of the Nile season. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking. Eh? With so much cotton being moved and with boating events on the river, this would be a safe time to do a smuggling job inside the cotton bales. Perhaps. I would not know. Oh, by the way, have you been losing money in the cotton market? It is a most personal question, Mr. Jordan. Oh, forget it. Well, thanks for the deluxe tour, Malik Bay. Ah, a pleasure. You were most gracious to bring me the sad news of Shufa's death. He walked with me to my car and watched as I drove out to the main road. But I didn't go far. Just beyond the hill, I parked, took a heavy screwdriver from the car, got out and left the road, circling back. I'd noticed how Malik Bay kept steering me away from a certain padlocked door. 
I found an open entrance back of the warehouse, and it was just a few more steps to the door I wanted in. It isn't much of a trick to break a padlock, if you know how. You just insert the screwdriver, give it a twist, and that's all. I was inside a large room. In the dim light, I could see some bats and all sorts of equipment that didn't mean anything. But stacked along the wall, I saw what I wanted. Small bales of cotton like those I'd seen on the boat. Only these were dry. I took one and broke it open. There was nothing inside. I tried some more and they were the same. I was stumped. I'd been sure it was a smuggling job. Well, if there wasn't anything inside the bales, it had to be the cotton itself. I stood there rubbing my hand over it and then I saw something. I rubbed again, harder. A phosphorescent glow followed in my hand's path. And all at once it clicked. It made sense now. Right away I wanted more words with Malik Bay. I started back into the main room of the warehouse, but I didn't have to go far. Malik Bay was running wildly toward me, looking back over his shoulder. The two shots had found their mark. Malik Bay stumbled, fell forward to the floor, rolled over at my feet, face up. It didn't take a second look to see he was very dead. There in the middle of the warehouse, flanked by her men from the desert, gun in hand, stood Farada. Mr. Jordan. So still you do not forget. I'm just beginning to learn some things. I fear that now it will do you little good. That mean you're using the gun again? It is not mine to decide. A good girl, Farada. Still take orders from the big boy, huh? All Egypt shall obey him soon. Yeah, I'd like to meet his majesty sometime. El Cahira. El Cahira comes. El Cahira. Farada. Who is this who does not bow down before me? It is the man Jordan, my master. So, it is the foolhardy one who hesitates to tell what he knows. I'm ready to tell it now, Elkehira. Now it is too late. I can figure your tie-up with Malik. He had the cotton, he needed money, so he just decided to expand operation. He moved in a lot of equipment, nitric acid and so on, into that big room. Began manufacturing a high explosive. It's called gun cotton. It's a lot safer to handle while it's wet. Indeed, your tongue has been loosened. It's all in there, including plenty of gun cotton. You made a good buyer for his stuff. Only what happened? Did Malik start backing down? Suddenly he was in great fear of the authorities. Did he not know that I am the law? <laughs> you got an awful lot to prove. The proof is in the doing. Soon at my bidding, the legions of the desert will arise. And I don't have to guess where the gun cotton comes in. Consider, if you will, the effect of a few bombs strategically placed at certain dams far to the south. Dams which control the flow of the river. Making it sound pretty big. Egypt is the Nile. The Nile is Egypt. The economy of the land will be disrupted. There will be chaos. All you're doing, huh, El Cahiran? That makes you king. As you say. And after wandering the desert as outcast these many centuries, my people return to the land that is rightfully theirs. And you're telling me because I don't get to see it, huh? Most truly spoken. Farada, you have the gun. At your command, my master. And you will raise it quickly. El Cahira! <laughs> Who is without? It is the Baya Bay of the police. El Cahira! Your surroundings! The law charges you with murder and revolution! You come out peaceably. We will never yield. But my master, we have no choice. Enough. We will fight to the end. We are as not before destiny. Should we fail, another will arise. You have spoken, my master. My subjects, to the windows. Fight to the dead. Desert men turned, and as Farada wavered, I saw my chance. I grabbed the gun from my hand and made for the open door. I went out, it slammed behind me, and I kept running till I landed behind a watering trough where Sam Sabaya waited. Down, Jordan, quickly. Oh, watch that man, Sam. He's wild. Elkahira! This is your last chance! There was no answer from inside. Sam motioned his men surrounding the building to stay covered. And that's how we waited in silence for what seemed like a long time. I had an idea what would happen. All at once it came. Even though he dies! With the blast, a sheet of flame rose from the roof, and all at once the big warehouse caved into an inferno. Suddenly, they were all gone. El Cahira, the self-styled god of war, had died as fantastically as he had lived. Thank you.
moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. There's nothing like a good old backyard barbecue with juicy hamburgers sizzling on the open grill and Del Monte catsup close at hand. But let's join Mr. and Mrs. Connell out in the yard. <laughs> now, take it easy, Bob. For a man who likes a medium well, you're in an awful big hurry. Yeah, yeah, I know, but the smell of those onions. Oh, I can hardly wait. <laughs> okay. Grab that bun over there. Uh-huh. Now, all set? Uh, no. One thing missing. Where's the catsup? You don't think I'd forget that, do you? Del Monte catsup? Here it is. Why, no hamburger would be complete without it. That's right, Mrs. Connell. That final touch that makes a hamburger a super burger is Del Monte catsup. Yes, Del Monte catsup has a distinct flavor all its own. A lively, zesty, spiced tomato goodness that's a real flavor treat. So see what its wonderful, rich tomato flavor can do for all the main course foods you serve so often. We know you'll like it. And here's good news. Del Monte catsup actually costs less than many other quality brands. So remember, for flavor first, look for Del Monte catsup. Your grocer has it. Back now to Rocky Jordan. Well, the minute we got back to town, I called my reporter friend Bill Harder. Gave him the scoop I promised him. Sam kept me with him as he went about Cairo checking El Cahira's venture. Finally, we stood at the foot of the Sharia Bendur, looking into the dark across the river. Yeah. It should not be too difficult to understand why the boatman was killed. It all fits, Sam. Malik Bay lost too much money in the cotton market. To recoup his fortune, he expanded operations making gun cotton, which is slightly illegal. Slightly illegal. Say the least, Jordan. He found a good buyer in El Cahira. But he found out too late what Cahira was up to. And that the police were closing in. They decided to call it all off. But in the meantime, Shufa was sailing with the first delivery. Obviously, Malik Bey sent his men here to the shore to signal Shufa to turn back. Yeah, that's it. The trouble was, El Cahira had a boat following to make sure of delivery. When Shufa turned, they shot him. They picked up the boat while I was phoning you, and both sides came after me. Hmm. Well, we will find the lost cargo in good time. Shall we go, Jordan? Yeah, sure. Uh, El Cahira is no more problem. No. He chose to end his life as fantastically as he lived it. Instead of fighting, he committed suicide. And like Bill Harder said, he may have been screwy, but he was sure dangerous. Hmm. Are not all power-mad people dangerous, Jordan? Uh, you're right, Sam. But I wonder about that legend that says the nomads once owned Egypt unsubstantiated by any historical fact. A pure fabrication. <laughs> like that boat I saw on the river, Sam? <laughs> Jordan, will you join me for coffee? Finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce, Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes, and Del Monte tomato juice. And remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is Adventure with Adelaide. <laughs> Want to brighten up a simple meal? Del Monte Fruit Cocktail has just the glamour that can do it. Just serve it as is, for a sparkling first course, or as a gay salad or a dessert. Yes, let the wonderful flavor of Del Monte Fruit Cocktail go to work for you. (laughs) 
for speaking, Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Wheaties presents Night Beat. On stage tonight from Hollywood, Night Beat, another in the Wheaties big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories begin in many different ways. And sometimes when you start digging for the facts behind a story, you end up by finding that you've dug yourself a grave. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. On a hot August afternoon back in 1936, young Bobby Feller stepped out on the mound and started his first major league game as a Cleveland Indian. He was just 17 years old. Bob, step up here and tell us what happened that day. Well, I was really loaded with Wheaties for that game. I struck out 15 St. Louis Browns. You think the Wheaties helped, eh, Bob? Ed, I'll tell you, Wheaties always help. I've been eating them for pretty near 20 years, four or five times a week. And Wheaties with milk and fruit are still my favorite breakfast dish. That's wonderful, Bob. Thanks for stopping by, and best wishes to our real Wheaties champion. Yes, thank you, Bob Feller. And folks, did you hear what the man said? Wheaties always help. Now, you may not play baseball for a living, but you can use whole wheat energy, too. You try it. Breakfast of champions. Have some and see yourself how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. If anyone had told me once about seeing flying saucers in the sky, I'd have tagged them either as a joker or a candidate for the booby hitch. But nowadays, everything is possible, apparently. You know, you could tell me that you saw a little man from Mars three feet high, and I, I wouldn't disbelieve you. Because tonight, I saw someone almost as strange. Fred Mola's bookshop is a shabby little place amidst a teeming stretch of tattoo parlors and penny arcades. It was the book in his window that caught my eye as I was passing. An early edition Bible, richly bound in antique leather, hand-tooled and inlaid with heavy gold leaf. It stood out against books that surrounded it like a 90-carat diamond in a display of 10-cent jewelry. I looked up. And there was Mr. Mola watching me through the dusty window with a smile of a man holding in his fear. And I went in. Hello? Uh, a little early, aren't you? Early? <laughs> it's almost ten o'clock. I know. I'm just looking at that old Bible in your window. You are a collector of old Bibles, no doubt. No, no, not, uh, not exactly. I, <laughs> I just happened to see that same book on Mr. Ron Heileman's living room floor the night he was murdered about six months ago. I am aware of that. Uh, oh? Uh, mind if I have a look at it? You brought the money with you? No tricks? No tricks. Look, all I want to do is see the book. One moment. Uh, how much do you want for it? The price is still $50,000. Fifty? Th are you kidding? I said no tricks. You've already agreed on the price. Oh, you've got your wires crossed. I haven't agreed to anything. Who do you think I am, anyway? Aren't you the man? The name who... is Stone, Randy Stone of the Chicago Star. Oh, a newspaper reporter. I'm sorry, Mr. Stone. I thought you were a messenger from one of my customers. He was supposed to be here at 10 o'clock. Yeah, sure. Uh, if you don't mind my asking, why is this book worth $50,000? Why, uh, this, sir, is one of the finest volumes of its kind in existence, published in 1513 by Martel. The contemporary of Cuxton. Yeah, but uh, I know enough about books to know that $500 would be plenty. Uh, do the bloodstains on the cover increase the value? Bloodstains? Was lying on the floor in Heilemann's study when the police found the buddy. Ron Heilemann had been stabbed with a pair of desk shears. Yes, a terrible thing. Murdered by his uh, houseboy, wasn't it? 
men named Canto. Uh, Willie Canto. That still doesn't make the book worth $50,000. Well, there's something different about this book. Is that so? Oh, this book is the black gospel. Uh, oh, fine. Thanks. Don't rush away. It's very interesting. For instance, the first 12 sections are the first 12 books of the Bible. Uh, can you read this old English script? Well, not as well as an old Englishman, but I can try. Read it. And he burnt the house of the Lord at... What's this other stuff that follows on the next page? Hail to thee, Lucifer. What is this, anyway? Oh, don't you see? It's the beginning of the black gospel. The devil's Bible. What's that? Well, you see, in the year 1513, possession of this sort of literature was a sure passport to the gallows or the stake. Hmm. Now, here's the invocation to Satan himself, summoning him up from hell, which was considered the most potent of all the spells used which... Mr. Mola, why are you trying to keep me here? Well, uh, You're not sure whether this messenger you're expecting at 10 will come with money or a gun, is that it? Oh, really, now? Well, if you're afraid, why don't you call a cop? I got work to do. I can't stay to play bodyguard. Wait, uh, please. The police wouldn't understand. Well, if it's that kind of a deal, then all I can suggest is uh, you make with a spell, call up the devil, let him protect you. I'm going. Some of these prayers to Satan are remarkable, Mr. Stone. Here, uh, let me read you one. Oh, well, if it'll make you feel better. Hail to thee, Satan, Lord of Death. Praises to thee, Prince of Destruction. Uh -huh. Let transgression of the wicked be glorified, and the purple testament of war be proclaimed. Take us, Lucifer, son of the morning, for we are thine. Good evening. Mola's eyes popped at the apparition that had appeared behind us. He'd come in soundlessly through the open door, a bearded man in a black turtleneck sweater, dark trousers, and black sneakers. What do you want? The book? I came to get the book. What? What book? The one you have there. The Devil's Bible. Who sent you? Don't answer that. Mr. Stone, if you don't mind, sir, this happened to be my business. Virgil said it would be here. Who? Virgil, my guy. Who are you? Mr. Stone, I'm, I'm going to close in a few minutes if you don't mind. Good night. Oh, so this is your messenger. Now it's time to get rid of me. Is that it, Mr. Mona? What's your name, pal? Dante. Uh, Dante. Did you bring the money? Money? What money? Well, this doesn't look like your $50,000 to me, Mr. Muller. I need no money. Get out of here. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Donnie, what's your last name? I am Dante Alighieri. Uh, oh, the 14th century Italian poet who wrote the Divine Comet. Oh, he's a madman. Yeah, but he writes like a dream. It was Virgil who took me to purgatory. My Beatrice led me to paradise. We walked with the angel. First, it's a newspaper report, and now it's a lunatic. Princes of hell, Zamiel, Asmodeus, and Apollyon, they are powerless before me. Their testament is mine. Now give it to me. Get out of here. I tell you, it's mine. Mine. Take your hands off it. Easy, Danny. Let go. That's better. Now get out. The fawn in the turtleneck sweater left reluctantly, looking back over his shoulder as he eased out the door and slipped up into the night. And as I watched him go, I had a funny feeling that somewhere, sometime, I'd seen that strange, thin face with the high cheekbones and the pointed ears before. I headed for the garage to pick up my car. I wondered where he'd gone and where he'd come from. And then suddenly, there across the street, leaning against a lamppost, staring back at the light still shining in the bookshop window a block away, I spotted him. I stepped off the sidewalk and hurried toward him. He turned abruptly, and I called, Hey, Daddy, wait! But he fled into the darkness. When I got to the office, I figured that Moeller's little bookshop might make the basis of a human interest yarn if I tied it in with the breakup of the late Ron Heilemann's famous book collection. So I had our librarian, Benny Marcus, dig out the files on the case from the morgue. I found something that made me do a fast take. What is it, Riley? Well, I'm just looking at the picture on this story. Huh? Oh, Mrs. Beatrice Halman, huh? Ain't bad, is she? I'm going to have to be Halman's daughter instead of his widow. Well, they say he was the kind of story. No, that's not the picture I'm looking at. This one, Willie Canto. Huh? Hey, what are you doing? I'm just drawing a set of whiskers on Mr. Canto's skinny face. Randy, what kind of fool? Look, is this? look, Benny, look. 
I just brought a dead man back to life. What are you talking? Willie Cantor with a beard or his double. If it is, Willie, I'd better get to the Moller's bookshop, but quick. Well, why? He's killed one man already. Fred Moller could be number two. I'd have called the police if I hadn't been afraid of raising a false alarm, which proves that silence is sometimes a poor substitute for brains. It was raining as I pulled up in front of Mola's bookshop. I saw that his lights were still on. The black gospel had not been replaced in the window. When I went in, it was neither on the counter nor anywhere that I could see. The place was deserted. I walked to the door of the back room and knocked. Mr. Mola? Mr. Mola? Where's that light switch? Ah. Well, it's his office. He must have... Mr. Mola. The old man lay sprawled on the floor, right beside him. His body was still warm, but he was quite dead. A small black bullet hole in the center of his forehead explained why. General Mills is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Hi there. This is Frank Martin, the man about the Wheaties. You know, I like talking about Wheaties on Night Beat because our star really eats them. And incidentally, I eat them. The burning question is, do you eat them? Truth is, millions of Americans do. Do eat Wheaties. And I have a hunch one reason is that Wheaties taste so good. Nothing I can say about crisp flakes and all that will tell you half so much as the fact that millions of us eat them and love them. So, not one more word will you get out of me right now on the good, solid, whole wheat taste of Wheaties. You try them, and you'll know all. Now, of course, there's another reason why so many millions of us dip into Wheaties come breakfast time. It's the whole wheat energy, the wonderful energy that makes the whole morning go better. There's a whole kernel of wheat, for goodness sake, in every flake of Wheaties. That's why they give so much. That's why they're so poppin' full of vitamins and minerals for your good morning. That's why Wheaties with milk and fruit starts a breakfast to remember. So why don't you join us tomorrow morning, us millions of Wheaties eaters. Make yours breakfast of champions, too. Join us, and you'll see how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Do that, huh? Now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. When Willie Canto showed up at old man Mola's bookshop, I didn't recognize him at first. After all, he was supposed to have drowned himself after he killed his boss, Ron Heileman. I hurried back to the bookshop and found that Mr. Mola was dead, a bullet through his head, and the book he'd been trying to sell for $50,000 gone. I reached for the phone. Hmm. The phone is dead. You must have cut the wire. Yeah, I did. Oh. Willie Cantle. My name is Dante Alighieri. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. You've been standing behind the door all this time pointing a gun at me? Yeah. Now, look, uh, Dante. Don't come any closer. I, I must kill you. Why? You usually kill your friends. You're no friend. But I am. Oh, then why did you plot to harm my Beatrice? Beatrice... Oh, yes, Dante and Beatrice, I, I forgot. You've made spells against my Beatrice, but you are finished. You must die. The book can't save you now. now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk some more, Donnie, old boy. So you've got the book, huh? No. Virgil has taken it. Virgil, oh. Oh, sure, Virgil, of course, your guide through hell and purgatory. Uh, where is he now, on the Chinatown at night? Well, that's enough of talk. It makes my head hurt. You must die. You don't want to kill me, Dandy Chum. If you killed me, you'd be a murderer. No. You'd never see paradise with Beatrice. You'd go to hell. No. Give me the gun, Cano. No. No. We stood facing each other about 12 feet apart while he struggled with himself. I couldn't afford to wait. A little pressure on that trigger and I'd be featured in the obituary column. I tensed for a spring and then... Willie Cantor's gun hand fell to his side, and his dark eyes were suddenly filled with tears. 
I stepped forward and took the automatic from his long fingers. I should kill you, but I... I cannot. I cannot. Oh, don't feel too bad about it. I don't. Now, let's get on out of here and go for a little drive. The fresh air will do us both good. Ah, the rain stopped. There's my car. We... Hey, Willie, come back here. Cato, come back or I'll shoot. I wasn't going to, of course, but on the bare chance it might give him pause, I pointed the gun to the sky. The shot seemed to give him jet propulsion. He dived into an alley and vanished. I turned around and headed back toward my car. I got there just as a couple of prowl cars pulled up behind mine. Stone! Huh? Well, Sergeant Blank. Oh, it is you who called the police. Why didn't he give you a name? You bashful or something? I haven't had a chance to call anybody yet. Well, somebody called. He said that some guy just killed a fellow who runs this bookshop. What are you doing with that gun? Oh, don't look at me like that, Buzz. It belongs to a fellow who was found dead in the river three months ago. Well, who gave it to you? He did. Huh? What are you talking about? Willie Canto, the fellow who killed Ron Heileman. He's as big as life and he's twice as crazy. You're the one who's crazy. Everybody in the Heileman household identified Canto's body. His wife, his secretary, John Talbot, the butler, the gardener. So they uh, made a mistake. Then we better go out and have a talk with Mrs. Beatrice Heileman. If Canto's on the loose, he may be planning to call on her. Mind if you come along? The Heileman estate featured a lot of formal gardens, two or three guest cottages, and a mansion about the size of Mount Vernon. The only thing that could have made the interior more early American was a stuffed Indian over the mantelpiece. Tears shimmered in Beatrice Heileman's lovely violet eyes as Sergeant Black told her what had happened. Oh, poor Willie. I guess I was wrong when I identified that body as his. But even John Talbot, my husband's secretary, thought it was he. I don't want to alarm you, Mrs. Heileman, but there's a chance Canto may show up here. Oh, but Willie wouldn't harm me. Why, he was always devoted to me. He was devoted to your husband, too. But look what happened. I still can't believe it. My husband was so kind to him, so... so gentle. He even tried to teach Willie to understand some of those... dull books of his. Like Dante, hmm? Dante? Why, that was my husband's nickname for Willie. How did you know? Willie thinks he is Dante. Oh? Mm -hmm. Ron was always giving people the names of characters in his books. Sometimes I don't think they were very complimentary. But I was never too sure. Uh, who was Virgil? Virgil? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what he called his secretary. John Talbot? Yes, Mr. Talbot. John Talbot, Virgil. Hmm? I suppose he doesn't work here anymore. Well, yes. I've needed him to help me wind up my husband's estate. There were so many things to be done. Why? Does he live here on the premises? Yes. But he isn't in town now. Poor man's been working so hard cataloging the rest of those books that I... I told him to take a week off. He left yesterday. I see. Where'd he go? He mentioned something about fishing in Minnesota. Well, thanks, Mrs. Harleman. Homicide will probably talk to you about this further. But in the meantime, keep your doors and windows locked, just in case. Oh, I'll be careful. Thank you. <laughs> When we stepped out into the night, it had begun to rain again. Sergeant Black drove off to make his report to headquarters, and I stopped to light a cigarette and try to make some sense out of the mess. And then I saw a dim figure emerge from a side entrance to the big house. The figure of a man standing momentarily in a yellow fuzz of light that shone from the open door. A small, familiar silhouette. The door closed and the darkness swallowed him, but there was no doubt about it. It was Willie Cano. I jumped out of the car. Willie! I caught sight of a shadowy figure as he whirled and ran toward the back. Willie! He headed toward the guest cottages, barely visible in the faint glow of a distant street lamp. And for a moment, I lost him. Then I heard him leap across the veranda, one of the cottages, and I charged after him. He didn't have time to bolt the door in my face. Willie, what's the matter with you? Just want to have a word. Where are you? Turn on the light. Where's the switch? Wait. Well, that's better. What are you scared of? You... You're the police. What gave you that idea? I heard you. 
in the house. They're talking to my Beatrice. Oh, I see. She knew you were there all the time, didn't she? Why, yes, of course. I was in the next room. Well, I'm not with the police. I'm just a broken-down reporter. So put that nice big knife down, Willie. Hmm? First a gun, then a knife. You're a bad boy, Willie. What do you want of me? That knife, put it on the dresser, and then we'll talk. Now, that's better. Now, what were you doing out there in the rain? Going away. Far away. Why? She says, if I love her, I will go away. Farther than before. Than before? Where was that? Where have you been spending the last six months? On the island. What island? Where Mr. Heilerman has his summer cottage. So she told you to go there? Yes. Yes. She's so kind. She gives me money. She sends me food. But it's so lonely. I, I, I had to see her. Why, why does she tell me to go? She told me before. She loved me. Beatrice doesn't change. She's kind and generous. Her heart is like gold. Yes, yellow and hard. What? Did she ask you to kill Mr. Harlan? Oh, no. I, I, I wouldn't kill her. Yes. Yes, I killed him. It was me. I killed him. Pretty mean, wasn't he, Willie? Oh, no. He was a nice man. You kill people who are nice to you? No, I... I wouldn't. I killed him. Beatrice wouldn't want you to lie, not even for her sake. She'd want you to tell the <laughs> truth, Willie. Did the secretary stab Mr. Holloman? No. But he killed a man in the bookshop. Yes. And you know who killed the man who was so good to you, Mr. Heilerman, don't you? Don't you, Willie? You know. You saw it, didn't you? You know who killed him. Yes, I know. Go on, Willie. Tell me. Tell me what you saw. I... I saw through the door into the library. Mr. Heilerman was there and Beatrice. Yeah? What were they doing? He says he knows about Beatrice and Virgil. He says he will get a divorce. Yeah? Go on. Then what happened? She... She picked up the scissors and... No, no, I, I did it. I did it. She told you to say that, didn't she? I, I... What happened after she stabbed him? She... She... She ran out of the room and I... I went in and Mr. Heilerman was trying to get up. He said... He said, Willie, get me some paper. Some paper. Well, there was no paper. There was... There was only the book. My book. And I put it on the floor so that he could write. The black gospel? Yes. Yes, he wrote in it. On the empty page in front, he said. Give this to the police. They will know who killed me. Well, why didn't you? I, I I was afraid. For Beatrice. And she comes in again and Mr. Talbot is with her. They say that I must go away. You never told them what Mr. Heilerman wrote in the book? No, of course not. They'd never sold it with the rest of the collection. I, I don't remember. Everything is all mixed up. So that's why it was worth 50 grand. What? What do you say? Nothing, nothing, Willie. So they identified that body as yours, hoping the police had dropped the search. Oh, you're lucky to be alive. Uh, Mr. Stone. Everything falls into place. Not a pretty picture, but it's clear enough. That's unfortunate, Mr. Stone. <laughs> It was our old pal, John Talbot, the secretary. He stood in the open door of the next room, framed against the bliss. I hadn't seen him since the inquest on Heilerman's death, but he hadn't changed. He was a slender, handsome man, looking like a college professor in tweeds and rimless glasses. The type generally pictured carrying a pipe or a book. But what he was carrying was a snub-nosed thirty-eight revolver. A touching little tale, Willie. Virtue! Does that gun mean I should have knocked before entering? Opportunity is always welcome, Mr. Stone. Whether it knocks or not. Opportunity for what? To dispose of an unforeseen problem. Oh, meaning me, I suppose. Meaning both of you. It's Beatrice. Her footsteps. John, it's all right. They're gone. I've been waiting for you. They... Oh, Mr. Stone. Willie. Beatrice, I was going away, but Mr. Shut Stone... the door. John, what is this? Why the gun? It seems that your faithful Dante has been talking to this newspaper fellow. What? Rather extensively, I'm afraid. Willie, have you gone crazy? Oh, Mr. Stone wouldn't harm you, Beatrice. You wouldn't touch her, would you, Mr. Stone? Uh-oh, -uh, not without gloves. What did he tell you, Mr. Stone? That lunatic! And you believe him? John, is that why you're holding a gun? You fool! What does it matter what Willie said about me? There's no proof! You consider yourself safe just because I destroyed that wretched book. Oh, no, my dear. That's not enough. 
I've got to silence them. Put away that gun! Let go of me, you little fool. This fellow knows too much. I can't stand anymore. Let I go. can't stand it. Let go of my arm. So many terrible things. I can't stand it anymore. I said let go. You. You hit her. You hit her. Willie, no. I'll kill you. Get back and drop that knife. Willie Cato staggered as I leaped forward and knocked the gun from Talbot's hand. Talbot reeled backwards and sat down heavily on the sofa behind him. It was then that I saw the dagger in his side and the red stain spreading. Beatrice stood with her back against the wall, her eyes wide, staring at Talbot. And then at Willie, lying doubled up on the floor. And suddenly she gave way. I snatched up the gun and went to the phone. As I reached for it, I saw that Willie had risen to his hands and knees, his thin face glistening with sweat. He began to crawl towards Mrs. Heilman, one hand reaching out for her, his eyes glazed with pain. Beatrice. My Beatrice. No! Don't touch me! Beatrice! Keep away! I can't stand you! No! 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 Beatrice! Come back! Oh, please! Please! My Beatrice! Dante's Inferno. Hello, operator. Get me the police. Well, the clock hands are converging on four, pinching out the last hours of the night. The rain has stopped and the new moon is out. No lover's moon, but thin and curving. Like a knife or a dagger. The curved dagger that Willie Canto used. Poor Willie. He wasn't the first who was betrayed by what he thought was love. Love is like eating mushrooms. You don't know whether it's the real thing until it's too late. Oh, well. Copy, boy. You are listening to Night Beat on the Wheaties Big Parade. If you're a mother or a father with a warm spot in your heart for pink-cheeked, happy-eyed youngsters, here's something you should know. Good food builds good health, and Wheaties are good food. Now, I don't know what you've been doing about breakfast with the kids, but did you know that there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake? With the sunny, wholehearted goodness of field-grown wheat in every flake? With the full strength of whole wheat vitamins, minerals, proteins in every flake? It's true. Whole wheat in all its richness. That's what you furnish when you fill the cereal bowl with Wheaties. Don't slip up. See that they get Wheaties. Crisp, sunshiny, good. Pour on the milk, put on the fruit, and know the youngsters are getting all that whole wheat can give. Do that now. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Irvin Ashkenazi with music by Frank Worth. The part of Willie Canto was played by Ben Wright. Beatrice Heileman was Lorene Tuttle. Others in tonight's cast were Fritz Feld, Herb Ellis, Tudor Owen, and Lou Krugman. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Three Secrets, released by Warner Brothers. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen also on Tuesday, that's tomorrow night, to the Penny Singleton Show on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. This is Frank Lovejoy reminding you of today's biggest bargain, United States savings bonds. You pay for three and you get four. Save with United States savings bonds and build your own future. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Stay tuned for the first piano quartet on NBC. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from Rocky Jordan, Nightbeat... 
past episodes of this podcast and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. You can donate through the website as well if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. Thank you as always to those who have. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.